0: This week on Kettle of Fish, comedian Jim Bruce steps by to talk about skin science and soap bubbles.
1: Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle of Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debates, <laughs> hate, or arguments allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish! All righty, guys. Welcome to Kettle of Fish, the fun, no politics, laughter show where we chat with actors, comedians, artists, scientists, musicians, magicians, and models about life, love, and the creative process. And, all right, maybe a little politics. Nothing's off the table after all. Anyways, I'm your seafaring podcasting captain of the airways, Nick the Saucy One Catsaurus, broadcasting as always live from the top of Meth Mountain, Tennessee. And I also want to introduce my first mate. Whose tin can always runneth over with happiness. <laughs> Dee the producer. Who lives
0: in a pineapple under the sea? I'm that's it's just gonna de,
1: be it's the <laughs> So yes. um
0: I ref- you know,
1: I know we're not doing this as an after show anymore and the first line of that jingle says welcome to the after show yeah i can't i just redid the intro since this is no longer following ignorance equation or funny thing about politics i can't redo the song the song is just gonna have to stay even though it is technically inaccurate
0: yeah because it sounds it's just right it's just right that's it just sounds perfect like i'm sitting there singing along to it like a little dork um just because i can how yeah, do you like my
1: new intro, though? I do. No, I, I like was the like. the show wow. after the show, to talk after the yeah, talk, that blah, was, blah,
0: blah, That was good. I like that. I like that a lot. You should definitely keep that. Um, if it's yes. got your
1: seal approval, will do.
0: So, happy Father's Day to all the wonderful fathers who actually act like fathers. Uh, and if you haven't seen it, there's this cute little video going around that uh, wishes happy Father's Day to dads who sparkle. And I had to send that to you, Nick, because you are definitely a dad who sparkles. And by that, I mean...
1: And not in the shitty Twilight way.
0: No. I mean, if your daughter says, hey, dad, let me put this makeup on you, 99.9% of the time, your answer is going to be, okay, whatever you want. Like, How many
1: times have I shoved my face in a bowl of chocolate? Oh, my God.
0: Every single year that we do gingerbread houses, some of that ends up on your face. It's just, that's just what we do. So, yeah, so happy What have you been Day.
1: doing all week? Speaking of um, fun, it's the oh summer God. of fun. It
0: is the summer of fun. We have had on John Lear this week. We've talked to um, our friends Adrian and Eddie and Nicole and Doug. And I know I'm missing somebody who else. Dwayne, Jackson, Dwayne Jackson was our first yes. episode. So we've been talking to all kinds of people. Um, we, it's supposed to just be 15 or 20 minutes, but, you know, that doesn't happen uh not in our studio anyway so uh and of course we did have our first drunken trivia in a while uh that was with olive lynch super funny you know i just if she doesn't do a lot of cartoon voiceover work she just should she's got a real character voice what a
1: waste of potential i'm mad now
0: she sounds like a character i mean it's just it's fabulous So So here's um, the deal, guys. Fern
1: is up north because of family issues. Um, She's helping her mom out up in Maine. So we're not staying too much on a kind of um, formatted schedule. That's why we've been doing the summer fun. And also, I'm not digging into politics like I used to. All the hate and vitriol over the election season kind of Mm -hmm. made me flip my wig and have a fucking meltdown. So we're just doing like kettle fish, musical osmosis, trivia, and these fun shows. And then you know we've got a lot of other podcasters on a network, including today's guest. But we'll get to him in one second. Yes. The few things we do have scheduled. What do we have scheduled coming up on Tin Can? Oh my gosh!
0: Yes, Tin Can Media, not dot com. That's so like two thousand and two, and so we're like Tin Can Media. So yes, very very easy, guys. Type in the word tin, the word can a dot and the word media and just hit enter but tin
1: can is all together it's not it tin space can no
0: i i don't know that it would matter but yeah um yeah this friday we've got uh some more trivia yay with comedian anastasia washington um and then sunday we're going to turn around and have jesse conwheeler on uh that's going to be super fun and then we do have a life is hard uh, Tuesday night, we, it is scheduled for 6.30. Uh, then we're going to have authors of How to Spy on Your Neighbors, Isabella Patrick and Vicki Cooperman. Uh, and then we are going to have our friend Alex White on musical osmosis sometime next month. And probably the... The the one that's getting the buzz right now is um, our buddy Chris Novembrino is going to join us in an episode, and we are going to have on Scott Levy, better known as Raven from WWE. So that is that's a and
1: that's ECW and a lot of other oh, wrestling yeah. um, franchises. Wrestling. He's a wrestler. and I've been bugging Scott for a year yeah. because I originally crossed paths with him over comic books. Because he had some comics he wanted to sell, yeah. and I had reached out to him about the show, and I have a friend who owns a comic book shop in Virginia Beach. It's a long, convoluted story, but I have been bugging him for yeah. – he hates doing podcasts, but I've been bugging him for a year to come on, well, and good. he finally gave in.
0: You should tell him that we, we have a a teenage son who will probably be very into this interview, so he – he should be proud. He
1: kind of um, shuns away from the wrestling stuff, though. Like, he's one of the guys who have never gone back. I think he had a bad falling out with the McMahons. And um, I'll mix we it up couldn't. a little bit with them. but I want to talk more. He's done a lot of comic books and stuff, too, nice. as well. And he's part of Mensa. Really sharp wow, guy. Really? So there's lots of other components to Scott wow. than just the Raven thing.
0: That's awesome. That's crazy. So All right.
1: So who's today's guest? Because we have Padula shows going up constantly. And yes. we have Bath Talks. Going yes, up on our
0: and um, we cool. have our very first vodcaster to ever appear on the show completely nude, the um, <laughs> super funny uh-huh. Jim Bruce. Hi, Jim. How you doing?
1: Hey, everybody. Fantastic. How are you?
2: Good. Yeah, Happy Premier Father's
1: 8. Day. Are you a father?
3: Well, you know, that's a funny question, and I never... I used to not know exactly what to say, but then what I've decided that I should say is just to tell the truth, which is that, um, we, me and my wife had three, uh, very nearly babies that passed away. Oh, uh, so let's, so let's start the interview
1: there. (laughs) And a sweet, sweet bummer. Um, This is the I no politics laughter show. Start off on yeah. on that note, jeez.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. We uh we were you know, we don't have kids. They they all did the sweet dying thing. And then uh what I would say in my stand up for a while, and my wife just to make it clear, enjoyed this. She found it funny as well. So okay. but what I would always say is, you know why we had three miscarriages? Why? Because two were so fun. Two were so
1: fun. We just had to do
0: it again. <laughs> That's oh, nice.
1: <laughs> Are you still doing stand-up on a regular? Because I don't see a lot of YouTube videos, no more of you out there. Um.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm going on tour this summer. I'm going to be going to uh, Laughlin, Nevada. I'm going to spend some time in uh, – I'm booking some gigs in Phoenix, so hopefully I'll swing by Paul's house at some point. Um. I don't necessarily post everything on YouTube as far as stand up goes because I'd rather people saw me live and then you burn a lot of material. Plus, if I'm going to post it on YouTube, my thought process now is different than it used to be, which is if it's going to be stand up, I'd like at least the production values to be good so that it doesn't look like you're watching a camcorder
1: recording. Gotcha, gotcha. Makes total sense. Uh,
3: I think what happens, a lot of new comics, like when you first start doing stand-up, you think everything you do is great. And so you write your awesome fart joke, you know, and you're like, ah, I'm rediscovering the fart joke. And you record it in somebody's dumb bar or basement with four people in the audience. You're like, well, of course this belongs on YouTube. Because people definitely want to hear the thing that sounds completely echoey and the joke that half makes sense. And then as you become kind of a decent comic and start getting paid, you think, yeah, I don't want it to look like I suck, so maybe I don't put those things out there.
1: But See, I I'm that, always know, the t- opposite. I always think like, ugh, I, I sucked at that or this. I'm, I'm just now, after four years, comfortable enough to say that I'm a good podcast host. But it took me four years to get here. The first two years, I was like, ugh, i got to up my game.
3: Yeah, stand-ups suffer from a particular kind of delusion. And I say that as a guy who suffered from it. And I think it's the only way you can become a stand-up. Because if you were aware of how bad you were when you first started, you would stop. But luckily, (laughs) you believe you're great. That's good. That's
2: too true. But there are
1: meticulous guys out there like Jerry Seinfeld, right? Who I imagine approached this like a fucking surgeon from day one. You know, I've seen a really
3: old clip of Gary Seinfeld when he started out, and he wasn't all that good. Really? And it's like, yeah, I mean, he was fine,
0: mm-hmm.
3: but, you know, do you want to put out your material that's fine, right? Right. Wanna, would that be, your, maybe that should be my next comedy special. Jim Bruce, fine. a lot of this is just fine.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. I would watch that. Mediocre. <laughs> yes.
1: Hey, okay. Let's dive into Bath Talks. You're semi new. I say semi new because you're about 10 or 11 episodes in. As we mentioned, Indeed. on tincan.media, um, basically, you are in the bathtub. Totally not fake news. You are in a bathtub taking a bath, pontificating a myriad of subjects. Um, just everything from, like, suicide to your religion to politics. And you know what the first question is going to be? Why this format? Why not Jim Jim um, Bruce on a stepladder, Jim Bruce in a wheelbarrow? Why in a bathtub?
3: Well... So what I've been saying, this is my log line, I guess I would call it, is I what I've said is that Bath Talks is like TED Talks, except it's in a bath instead of a TED. That's what nice. I've been saying. Um, it started out just really as kind of a, I, I don't know if parody is the right word, but sort of satirical, um, like TED Talks. And it seemed so funny to me to be in a bath. And, it seemed, and that just seemed really funny to me. But also, I like taking baths. I take an inordinate amount of baths. Like for a man, I think I take too many baths. Well, there's no sending,
1: just, um candles in any of the shots. I think you're safe. No,
3: yeah, that's true. There were in some early test episodes that they just kept getting wet and off. So I was like, okay, well, candles don't work because I'd gesticulate and, and the light would change so I'm like alright candles are gone and then I also had uh, a Chardonnay in an early episode but that felt really proppy to me like gotcha. it was fine but I was like well I don't really drink Chardonnay in the bath and I don't think people really do except on TV for the most part so
1: or very frustrated like, upper class housewives
0: I don't know. Right, now, exactly. I've been known to have some vodka and monster in the bath, you know, but oh, that's, that's badass. <laughs> that, that is <laughs> awesome.
3: That is awesome. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, there's a, uh, this happens with a lot of comments, by the way, a lot of comments, there'll be something that they particularly find super funny. So it makes its way into their comedy more often than it would in anybody else's act. And like, uh, I have about 10 minutes just about taking a bath because I don't know why I find that so funny because if there is no natural reason it should be funny but if something tickles you as a comic you tend to gravitate towards it so I'm a whole bit about that and then that just kind of evolved into talking in the bath but then what happened is I ended up not I don't know if it's even satirical anymore because the things I'm talking about I talk about a hundred percent seriously I don't like, it's not goofy when I talk about it. It's just I happen to be naked in the bath.
1: But everybody needs a shtick, right? Like I remember a couple years ago, and I want to start this back up. I used to do YouTube videos called Morning Rants for My Bathrobe which was very much kind of in that same spirit. And one, I'm a great P.T. Barnum gimmick guy. Like, I think no matter what you're doing, you should attach something with its own, like, like um, WWE wrestling flair. So, but also it was honest because I would get up in the morning, D would make me a coffee, usually 5.30, 6 a.m. I would just jump on camera and just start ranting about politics, whatever was in my head. No format, you know, nothing preconceived, and I would just start ranting. Um, I didn't push it a lot, so it didn't get much of a reception, but I always thought it was a good idea. We've got a few up on the network. Are you a 5 a.m. guy? I have to be. I work my day job from 6 a.m. I work four days a week, four 10s, Tuesday to Friday, 6 a.m. to 5 p.m., or actually 7 oh. a.m. cuz I take a shower and work out and stuff and then clock at 7.
3: Okay, so you're working a 40-hour week, about four days a week.
1: Right, and I get to work from home, too, so I got an actual day job, a paying day job um, in compliance, but I work from home. So my uh, commute is from the bedroom to the living room. Nice. Very nice. nice, very nice commute. All right, so let's do this. Like I said earlier, the series, your series, it covers politics. Um, it covers suicide, which I thought was a very profound episode. Um, religion, even the Egyptian gods— is, so is this going on, whatever you're thinking about that week? Are you like, oh, I just did politics last week. I'm not going to do it again this week. How much of this is mapped out and how much is this just, just, I'm going to jump in the tub. Here's what I'm going to talk about. How much of it's spontaneous?
3: Well, most, well, very little of it is planned out as far as uh, scripted. There, There's very little scripting, although there is an episode coming up that will be scripted based on, on response from one of the people who watched it and really enjoyed it. Um, I do want to do another one about an aspect of the evolution debate, but one of the people who liked the video said that they really like citations. So because I'm talking off the top of my head, and I am referencing, when I talk about evolution, I'm referencing factual things. I'm not making anything up that happens to be one of my
1: so this isn't watch. fake bathtub news no no absolutely everybody yeah. loves to throw fake news around anything they disagree with you could be like I like the Pittsburgh Steelers fake news fake news yeah. like it's crazy out there
3: yeah I'm not sure even what I'm not sure how we get away with calling stuff fake news that's uh, so frustrating Right. so frustrating It's it's interesting though we put ourselves in this spot. So if you think, think about the idea of stuff being called fake news, you just go back to the things people deny, and we really did set the table to just give people carte blanche to deny everything. Oh, yeah. Even so, even, so, even alleged intellectuals, like take Bill Maher, for example, who I think is kind of a jackass, but the thing the thing about him is periodically, he's pro-science, right? He's
1: pro-science. Unless you're talking about vaccines, and then suddenly he's not. Right, right, yep. And I mean, I can go down that whole political rabbit hole, and it's funny because on your last episode, you kind of said, hey, look, I'm not a good political voice. I'm not somebody who should be talking a lot of politics, but this is the first time you've ever come on air with us that wasn't a political show.
0: Yeah, that's so true.
1: why don't you like and you've been on, I think four or five times. So Absolutely. you've been on our political show a bunch of times. So I consider you one of you and Paul especially my one of my more politically um kind of active, at least voice wise and on social media, comedian friends. So I'm not sure yeah. why you kind of view yourself as not being a political guy. I think you're a great spokesperson. Well, I
3: appreciate that and I certainly don't mind adding my voice. I think one of the things that I I want to, I would like to suggest to people in general is that, sure, we all have political views, and sure, some of us are reasonably uh, informed, and we're pretty informed, but we should take our own voice with a grain of salt. If we're, I don't know, so if I'm cautious about the things that I believe, and say, well, i got to be careful, then I've, I've got a better chance at being a person who self-examines. And really, one of the things I want Bath Talks to be about is self-examination. Because I don't think that we criticize the things we think about enough. Ah, that's was, true. Uh, I think it was Feynman, he's a, uh, Feynman who said that in referencing scientists, he said that the easiest person to fool is yourself.
1: Well, let me ask your opinion then. Let me jump in here real quick because you kind of follow what's been going on in my life the last few years, and you're a pretty sharp guy, so I respect your opinion. When we had the ignorance equation, I made a point. Of examining my side of the fence, bringing people on from the other side of the political fence, giving everyone equal voice. And as you know, during the election, that whole thing went up in fucking flames. I mean, there was people
2: like,
1: fuck you, Liptard, like going crazy on me. And I was just trying to give the other side a voice, and they seemed to resent me for it. Where did I go wrong? Well,
3: here's what I think, and I... uh well, and I'm almost, in this particular case, I'm almost sure I'm right, but I might not be, so, so check me on this. I think that people who threw in with Donald Trump, the, the, the wave that occurred into the election of people deciding that they were going to vote for a reality star began, of course, with Republican incompetence. It began with them not being able to properly seal the candidate. And I honestly, going all the way back, I don't think he intended to run for president. What I think he intended to do was ride down the escalator, look ridiculous, and sell more Chinese
1: ties. He was supposed That's to launch what, Trump Network after the election.
3: Right. That's what I think he intended to do. But he got caught up in the wave. And then because he is an egomaniac, it never occurred to him ah, crap, this is a bad idea. What if I end up being president? Like he didn't end up, he didn't have the sort of ability to look at himself and go, yeah, that's not my skill set. I'm a salesman. Because that's all he is. He's not really, he doesn't really make buildings, he's not really a business maker, he's, he's a cold call salesman who happened to be born with money. But what I think happened was, as as he caught fire and people threw in with him, the worse it got, the harder it became for people who had decided to get on board to concede that they'd made a horrific mistake. Self-examination with Trump, and you have seen it with some people, some people who voted for Trump have, of course, Said, wow, I made a giant mistake. But there's a key demographic of people who, including a very good friend of mine, who, and I'm still friends with him, who somehow can't seem to say, yeah, man, I fucked up. Man, I did something stupid. And I think it's because they did something so stupid that it's really embarrassing to take ownership of that. So I think when. You know, when we're talking about differences of, of opinion about an approach to, say, Social Security or about the military, it's a little easier to go, hey, it's great that we're listening to both sides. Right. But when it became, all right, so one side is rational and and another side is also rational but wants to vote for Bernie. Let's just say that. or or Jill Stein, and, and give them credit for not being crazy. Because I don't think they're crazy, although I don't think that was a good idea. But again, that's just my dumb little opinion. But when, you're, when those are the opinions versus insanely throwing in with a reality show star, those people can't come to the table equally because if they did, at some point they'd go, yeah, you're right, we, we did a crazy thing.
1: I don't know. The rationales that I got, though, from the other side were just, like, the craziest upside-down, like, loophole, just paradoxes, like, stuff I couldn't even wrap my brain around. Like, people just saying... I mean stuff that was so nonsensical like all these conspiracies and conspiracies on yeah. top of conspiracies and if he does it, it's great if Obama did it, it's horrible because he's this and Obama's that and a lot of absolute like uh, absolutism what about just there was so much it's like you couldn't even have a conversation with somebody because you weren't coming from it wasn't you were coming from different angles or different viewpoints you were coming literally from different realities.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the Shakespeare thing is, the, is a really good example, just even in the last couple of days. The question has been asked, would you, what, how would you liberals feel if they did a play with Obama in the spot that Trump was? And as it was pointed out, they did in 2012. And liberals collectively went, oh, that's interesting. And that was it. So you had your answer. And that's repeatedly been a theme, which is they would have never done this to Barack Obama. And you're like, how short term is your memory?
1: But it's not even that. That I like someone will put a meme up of Kathy Griffin, and then six pictures under it of people burning refugees of Obama and having them hanging from a rope and all this stuff. And and the comment threads will be like, "You liberals just made that today. This is fake news. And you liberals made it today and said conservatives have been putting these out for years. Fuck you. It's an actual delusion. Because I know." Everybody has had to see these like a bomb on a rope. It says rope instead of hope. I mean, anybody who's ever been on Facebook has had to see these memes. So for them to yeah. discount it and say those memes never existed until today when liberals put them together and said they've been around for eight years—that's a delusion. I don't know how to talk to somebody like that. I, mean, I might as well get down into nut house and talk to people about leprechauns and magical rainbows and stuff.
3: Yeah, it's a—it's uh, bizarre. It's bizarre, and um, it's. You know, disinformation is not new, so uh, as my friend Walker pointed out in one of my latest talk talks, I actually had a guest, um, Mm -hmm. as my friend Walker pointed out, and it is in some ways comforting as well as disheartening, none of this is actually new, it just feels new. It feels new because we're going through it, and this is the latest iteration of it, but this is kind of old politics, really. Um, See, I don't agree. The-
1: I don't think we've ever seen people, I would say 10, 15, even 20% of this country, joined in a collective mass illusion about the secret FEMA death camps, and crazy shit like that, like um, Newtown was faked and juice boxes make our kids gay and what you said about vaccines and chemtrails. I, I mean, I don't remember our parents saying people thought Eisenhower was a vampire. Like nobody ever said that up until the last few years. Well, maybe, but
3: well, they did. If you go back to even just the 50s, they did live in placid denial of just the fact that if you were in a certain part of the South, it was pretty easy to get hung if you were a black guy. They were in placid denial of some simple injustices that were day to day, and you're right. I mean, our version of it does seem to be wackier. you know ours our version of it does seem to be more on the incredibly silly side, although silly and then scary because you know science doesn't go away and and one of the things that will happen is that if you actually do if you actually are worried about other nations but i don't know if you should but if you are in the sense of our collective competitiveness in the, say the world marketplace you should care about science denial cuz ultimately that does lead down a path to us not being at the forefront of technology it just does yeah you know? i mean imagine
1: so, if at&t Did to the cell phone company lobby, put out misinformation, propaganda that cell phones were going to kill you and they were communism or whatever that they're doing with coal that's keeping us from green energy. Um, We wouldn't have cell phones right now if AT&T was like, cell phones will give you brain cancer, and if you use cell phones, it's because you're a terrorist and a drug dealer, and only drug dealers and criminals want to use cell phones because they're on the go and in hiding. Like, we wouldn't fucking have cell phones right now if AT&T was able to do that. But they fucking diversified, and they kept up with the marketplace, and the coal industry and all these dirty fuels don't want to do that. They want to keep drag us back, kicking and screaming to 30, 40, 50 years ago. Well, it's
3: interesting. Some oil companies are investing in green energy because some of them are forward thinking, or not, forget forward thinking. That's not even it. Some of them are recognizing the writing on the wall as far as where profit is. Um, it's just, of course, they drag their feet. And I kind of wonder if they're, I kind of, now I guess, I don't know if I'm being conspiratorial and check me on this if I am, but I kind of feel like the fossil fuel companies are doing this to slow down progress i don't know that they actually want to stop progress because i actually think that what they want to do is get as much money as they can now and graduate into green energy and get money there too i suspect that's the actual motivation
1: pretty short-sighted because india and germany and a lot of other countries are going to corner the green energy market. And like Thomas Friedman said, in, um not this most recent book, but his book before, the rulers of this planet twenty, thirty years from now are going to be the people that have the green energy technology, not the petrodictators yeah. and not us sticking with coal and stuff, but the ones like India that is busting their ass to be on the free front of the green energy movement.
3: Yeah, and I would agree with that. I think that that's true. I wonder because the only thing I wonder is that Once that technology exists, how far behind... So this is a different question. I guess this is not even politics. This is just, say, futurism like Arthur C. Clarke. Once that technology exists, it's a different game than the fossil fuel game. So the fossil fuel game, if you corner that market, you've got that market because that means that you have the oil well, which has the spout, that goes into the you know the the, the, the resource, right? You've got right. the drill that goes into the resource. With green energy, it feels like that's a little bit different, because once the technology exists, once the genie's out of the bottle, it feels like, well, at some point, everyone will just have it. I do think that that's probably the fossil fuel fear. Because that's not really a market you're going to be able to control as tightly. You're not really going to be able to price fix uh, sunlight. You're not going to be able to price fix wind. Yeah, and I wish
1: people would recognize that. And everything you're saying right now, we are back down the political rabbit hole See, this is why you should be talking about politics, and I don't know well, why it doesn't make it into your comedy. I mean, do you not put it in your comedy? Out of a, at least a comedy that I've seen from you, is it out of a fear of alienating an audience, or do you just not feel uh, confident enough to make jokes about it? I have bits about
3: politics, so um, I do actually have some bits. I have a North Korean bit. I have a few jokes that I've done. Um, I just find other stuff funnier. Like, in general, politics makes me furious. And so far, that hasn't been the greatest source of jocularity for me. Ah. I, uh, um, and also, I don't, when I watch political comedy, one of the questions I ask myself now is, what's the contribution here? If if we're talking politics, because like in my you've seen my act, I do a pretty sizable chunk about suicide. Right. But my objective with doing it is is twofold. The first is always funny, right? First, stand up. First and foremost, is it funny? You're wasting time if it's not. If it's just you on a you know soapbox. I'm yeah, not it's not spoken word. You're supposed to be funny first. But particular to say the suicide material, my objective there has always been that it should be in some way informative. It should be in some sense, by the way, excuse me, let me say that again. It should be in some way informative. It should be in some way edifying. I don't want to just do a joke about suicide for the sake of you going, oh, wow, he did a joke about suicide. How cutting edge. I'd rather that maybe you as a listener got something to think about. So if I was going to do politics, I kind of want it to be the same way.
1: Do you, are you a Jimmy Dore fan? Oh, yeah. We've had Jimmy on the show several times, as a matter of fact.
3: Well, Jimmy, when he talks about politics, sure, it's funny, but you're also probably learning something. and And he's... You know, he drills in very deep in his jokes, whereas like saying again, like somebody like Bill Maher, his jokes are pretty surface level, really.
1: Well, the you one know. that I like that I think really does a benefit is Christopher Titus, and we've had him on here talking about it. And I think it's kind of like Family Guy, right? Like you could say something on Family Guy about guns that and making fun of gun owners, right? Where if you said it at a bar, you'd get your ass kicked. But Peter Griffin can say it and everybody's laughing. And I think the hope is for comedians like Titus and even Jimmy Dore and everybody else, um, Lewis Black, the people who do politically themed comedy is with like kind of breaking the tension with jokes. Maybe the audience will go home and go, wow, that is kind of fucking ridiculous. We're handing guns to people straight out of the mental institution. Like, that is kind of crazy. Whereas if I said on the ignorance equation, I would be getting, like, death threats. Fuck you, anti-NRA, blah. But somebody could say it on a cartoon like South Park or say it in a comedy bit, and they're a little bit safer saying it. Yeah. The other problem
3: I have with some of political comedy now, and not all of it, like, I think Seth Meyers is brilliant. I think that show has become brilliant. But the concern, I don't know if it's a concern, but it is just an observation, really, is there's a lot of political comedy that I go, oh, this is brilliant, and I watch it, and then I become aware of the fact that, oh, the only people watching this are people who are already on board with the point of view. And the challenge is, how do you make a joke? Like, the NRA is a good example. I did actually do a gun control Episode that's fairly political and
1: fairly. And I think funny. I'm like, surprised you didn't get backlash on that because I was like, dude, if I was to just take this verbatim and put it on my Facebook as me or say it on air, I would have people going bananas on me.
2: Well,
3: the weird thing about the internet is there's still time, it just has to be the right person to discover it and get pissed off. So we'll see. Um, that one is. Uh,
1: Here's it's very about- snarky and sarcastic.
3: Oh, it's super snarky, yeah. It's actually one of my favorite bits as far as that goes. That's when I did a stand up first. And uh it's the only thing I've done on Bath Talks that was legitimately stand up first. Um slightly modified for gotcha. Bath Talks, but
1: But But you say that about comedy, but it's the same with what I was doing, right? Like I started off being able to bring in all sides to listen, but as things got more and more heated politically and toxic, by the end, I can guarantee you there was nobody listening to our show that wasn't totally in line with me. And actually, we lost a lot of audience because people were either listening to my co-host and getting pissed off. And I actually I even had friends write me and go, dude, I can't be your friends if you're friends with that guy. I can't be friends with anybody who would be friends with someone like that. And I'm sure there's people on the other side that tuned in just for him and heard me and go, I can't listen to this LibTard garbage, even if that guy's taking it to him. So yeah, well, I mean awesome. it kind of yeah. like I kind of divided my whole audience away to the point where our numbers fell by like five hundred percent during, you know, leading up to the election. I would say from late 2015 to the show finally Disappeared, the ignorance equation itself disappeared like September, I think, of 2016. Right. Like that year got so toxic, nobody wanted to listen to people and Fern in the middle. So nobody wanted to listen to a liberal, a conservative, a very, I guess at that point, far right Trump supporter, and somebody pretty moderate talk because somebody on that show, everybody was getting pissed off by somebody on that show and everybody right. was just tuning out. So it doesn't work. It, 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 it's hard to work in any format, right? Yeah.
3: No, and I, I think that that's true. And so how do you meet that challenge? And I don't know that I have a good answer to that question, but I do think it's a really good question. How you get anywhere close to the middle. That's one of the things. So that episode I did with Walker, I liked that what we were talking about was politics itself as an idea uh because i i think that that kind of a conversation needs to happen more often the deconstruction of just politics as a as a form of communication is a you know when we talk about say an issue it would be great if we first talked if we first had an understanding of the edifice that structures around the issue itself does that make sense
1: yeah, but the, you know, I was listening to his conversation when he was saying things, I could just picture a- as political science as he was saying, and I say science, as what he was saying, like, hey, I'm just going to talk about the constructs of systems. Um, there's three equal branches of government that are supposed to balance and check each other. I can imagine people, Trump supporters, go, no, there's not. No, there's not. Obama abused the executive branch. Why aren't you saying Obama abused the executive branch? You know, Trump is finally taking the power back. Like I, I can imagine people out there that would see that episode as as non-political as it was. It's just talking about here's just factual political science information of how government works has turned it yeah. into this is a libtard show. they're attacking Trump when Trump's name wasn't even mentioned.
3: right, yeah. Um, that's for sure. There's certainly a percentage of people who are going to be like that. Um, I, I'm optimistic that amongst let's say the total amount of trump supporters however many there really are and i really don't know how many there are um i suspect because we've seen it in a percentage within that percentage i think it's possible for people to be rested away from that point of view but it's not easy but you've seen it happen um some of the things that probably need to happen, and it's hard to do. It's hard not to just call them stupid. It's hard because you get mad and you get frustrated. So then you end up, you know, why are you being so stupid? But of course, I don't care who you're talking to. That's never a good approach.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
3: You never win anybody over by pointing out how stupid they are by saying, hey, you're stupid. (laughs) Hopefully what you do is you just kind of you know, gently, you know, move them in a direction um, slowly. You know, you try to move the needle slowly. And um, somebody uh, that one of the comparisons I have heard about our democracy and why it takes so long to say get, you know, single payer health care is, and why it why we make little bits of progress and we seem to get wrested back the other direction. Uh, one of the comparisons of the, our democracy is our, our democracy is not a speedboat. Our democracy is an ocean liner. And the point is, is we cannot make radical course corrections uh, because we're, it's just too weighty a big a thing. You have to make gradual course corrections.
1: Small calculated course corrections,
3: not erratic
1: yeah. I get it. And, you know, we live in an age where I've posted stuff and been like, this isn't even political. But then again, I mean, we live in a country where now products are political. Like, I, I see a day when it's like Angelsoft, the official bath tissue of conservative Christians. Like, right. we're coming to a place where fucking people are like, Budweiser, that libtard beard, Nordstrom's that libtard department store. Like, we're getting to a place where even products are being labeled right, left. I mean, it's getting me so you, out of hand. Let me ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a Christian? Well, oh, no, I'm an agnostic.
3: Oh, okay. So maybe this is uh, not a question for you. Is anybody there a Christian? <laughs>
0: no, but I've D studied. She's
1: here, and she's not a Christian. She's probably more atheist than I am.
0: No, but I've studied okay. a lot, a lot, a lot. Huh? I said, but I've studied a lot. Like, I've read okay. the whole Bible front and back a couple times, so I'm familiar with it Okay, all.
3: I've... A- how, this is the thing, this is of all the things that I don't understand about the current political climate, and as far as like why people are so nuts, why do you think anybody, if I were a Christian, and I would be so offended at the premise of calling Trump a Christian, that would bother me. It would bother me if, if, If I were a Christian, it would really bother me.
1: Because they want a monster to defeat the monster of government. So as long as he's their monster and he's going to get rid of gay people and Muslims, who's a threat, like they're going to be... Any minute now, they'll be beheading people at the Super Bowl halftime show. The Muslims are hiding in every bush. And the atheists and uh, gays and everybody else is coming to feed us to the lions. As long as they can point this fucking torpedo at the other side they can write Christian on its bullhead and go, here we go, it's a Christian torpedo. Wow,
3: yeah. Yeah, yeah that's uh, depressing. Well, it, would really bo- it would really bother me. Like if you know, somebody associates with the group I, I identify with, I would at least want him to share my values. And I try to give credit and say, well, my understanding was that your values were not this.
1: But then they just say, but all men sin, so he's forgiven. I mean, you have a lot of these guys, these Pat Robinson guys coming out now and saying he's a Christ-like figure. And it's crazy when I read these articles that it says, if you didn't vote for Trump, you're going to hell. Even if you're a lifelong Christian, Trump is our golden God. Trump is a a Christ-like figure. Come to earth to save us. I mean, these people are double, tripling. I mean, because some of these people are so – like I see people like just – so fervent in their love for trump that he he said it i mean he said it he said i can go out to fifth avenue shoot somebody in the face and never lose a supporter i mean he said it so what what is there to be said about him beyond that true anyways this is the non-political show let's let's try to pivot back here the last couple minutes we have back to bath talks cool okay not that I want to shut you down, it's just I, I try, I'm trying to keep politics out of everything because I don't want to alienate audience, especially on a show that's not supposed, and I can't help talking politics, I have a sickness, <laughs> I have to freaking talk politics all day. Anyways, on your Bat Talk video, um, one of the things I wanted to touch base on, you're talking about converting to Judaism, and then yeah. you said something about your circumcision. Did you get circumcised at a late age?
3: Um. No, no, no. Um, so, I uh, I was circumcised as a as a baby because they do that for free in the United States. You just get that as a bonus. You don't even have to ask at most hospitals; they'll just do that. You know, that's like free bread at a uh, Olive Garden.
1: Wait, did yeah, you? Okay, so who's the one that doesn't circumcise? Who's the one that's against the religion to circumcise?
3: Uh, well, some. Uh, I know some. Italian families that I I have known don't circumcise. I guess it depends on where your parents are from. But it's a very American thing to just kind of get your junk cut.
1: Indeed.
3: Uh, It's because it was sold as, and now there's a debate, and you can find this online, and I don't even know where I fall on the debate other than to say that I don't mind that I was circumcised. It's fine. But um, there's a debate online that you shouldn't circumcise, you know, that it's mutilation. And certainly you could debate that it is a form of mutilation because you're
1: cutting someone's dick. But... Um, <laughs> I'm glad to be circumcised. Yeah? How come? I don't know. It just I don't want, like, a turtle shell. Well, error. speaking as a crazy. woman...
0: Speaking as a woman who has um, encountered both forms um i have to say typically someone who is circumcised at least appears larger the texture is a little better and it tends to be cleaner and more pleasant smelling if that's oh, there, okay there well that's all those reasons thing. then so aesthetically <laughs> it tends to be more pleasing to be circumcised mm-hmm. See, yeah so that's sure. a solid argument I Exactly.
3: Like that. yeah <laughs> um by go. the way so in, In Judaism, there's a little little bit of interesting trivia for you. If you want to convert to Judaism, and if you do, I don't recommend it. But if you do, um, if you end up deciding you want to convert. So I'm already circumcised.
1: But your guy that you went to, your friend you went to, didn't recommend it either. Is this an ongoing thing in the Jewish community? Nobody recommends anybody converts to Judaism?
3: Well, there's... Okay, so I sometimes I don't like to tell tell this part just in case you actually want to convert, but I'll tell you the deal. Um, so in Christianity, they like to actively seek out converts. You know, sometimes in, historically by the sword, currently just by bothering you on a Saturday when you're trying to sleep. Right. But in Judaism, they don't seek out converts just because the premise is anybody who converts to Judaism should just be doing it because they were were drawn to Judaism. So, by tradition, if you go to somebody and say, I was thinking about converting to Judaism, they will discourage you three times. And the idea is they will discourage you because they want to make sure you really want to do this. Wow, that's smart. So Jews, Jews are actually very welcoming as far as converts but you you can get the impression that they're not because they'll say, nah, you know what? You, you probably don't need to do that. And that's what happened to me, and it was kind of funny because it was a little disheartening. No, it's kind of like
1: uh, Beetlejuice. You have to be like, I want to be a Jew. I want to be a Jew. I want to be a Jew. All right, come exactly. on in. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. Nice.
0: I thought it had something to do with, there's some story where, um, oh no, that's the opposite. There's some story where, uh like somebody refuses to tell where Jesus is like, th- or no, no, no. He, he says he's not a friend of Jesus or whatever, like three times before the crow. I think in, that was the, Peter. The yeah. Yeah. He, he
3: says before, before the cock crows, you will deny me three yeah, times. Yeah,
0: that's what it is. So maybe they're thinking, and, uh, Hey, uh, if you really want to be a Jew, you have to deny Jesus three times, just like Peter did.
3: <laughs> yeah. You have to de- deny Jesus yeah. all times. If you want to be a Jew, <laughs> across exactly. the board. Wow. You have to pretty much go, yeah. So, anyway, here's a little bit of trivia about the, the circumcision for a Jew. Um, let's say you wanted to convert, and you're already circumcised. you got to get it done again. Isn't that awesome?
1: Yeah, John Lear actually told me a story about him getting circumcised as an adult when he converted, and Nemoyle and doing it was actually pitching his son's movie idea while circumcising him.
0: Uh, it was a, it's a great
1: true. story. It's like it's so Hollywood. the moyle that's like fantastic. I'm standing there with my pants down and the Moyle's like getting his instruments ready while going, "Hey, you know my son is a screenwriter, and you might be interested in this idea he has." <laughs> that's awesome.
2: Yeah.
3: Oh, one, uh, one, I, one thing I wanted to say about Bow Talks, too was and this has kind of evolved over the 10 episodes, so really our uh, 12, maybe by now, but uh, another one drops tonight, by the way. Um, nice. Um, over the course of the episode, there really, there's really only one episode where I'm being snarky and that would be the gun control one. Every other episode, the tone, the tone is fairly welcoming. I think the felt, the tone is fairly, um, self-examining and, uh, encouraging. And, and, uh, part of that is just because I just don't think you can reason with the NRA. I just don't. Um, it's not even really about guns with me. I'm like, I don't even have a problem with their point of view. I just have a problem with how they present their point of view. Well, it's now, an absolutism
1: talk- argument. And, you know, they say only fascists and children think in absolutes. Yeah.
3: And and this is true. And and they, and they I don't think they're fascists. So I more or less think they think like children. But uh, most of the episodes are, you know, just thoughtful self-examination is is what i'm trying to encourage and i was i've been getting inspiration by watching another guy who used to do talks like this and i've and i have started to think that my show is kind of an adult version of his show and that is watch any good conversation with mr rogers
1: yes yeah, he was just talking about mr rogers yesterday as a matter of fact
3: and i was thinking
1: I would like mine to be the adult Mr. Rogers, a thoughtful
3: conversation that happens to be inside a bathtub.
1: Well, I think you're on the right track. We got to wrap up here. Um, I got two quick questions for you. And I also have a
3: thoughtful Mr. Rogers, and I also have a puppet, but I can't show it to you on camera.
1: (laughs) Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not go there. All right. Two quick questions. One. The voice is so welcoming in the intro. Welcome to Jim Bruce Bath Talks. Is that you doing that? That's me. Wow, it does not sound like you. I thought maybe yeah, you that. had a friend do that. And here's the last one. And this and this question is for D Because Dee has, this house probably has, let me not exaggerate here. I would say at least 50, if not 100 rubber duckies in this house. In some shape yes. or form. Yes. Yes, she loves do. rubber duckies. Yes. Um, every birthday, Christmas, I have to get her something that is rubber ducky in shape and form. What is your rubber ducky's name? I know you have to have one. For D? No, no you. for your rubber ducky. He, your he's bathtub. asking oh. on
0: my behalf because I'm a rubber ducky freak. Oh, yeah. got you. Gary.
1: Gary. Aww, I knew you had to have Gary a name, I knew you weren't going to have him there without a I name. Like that Gary Beautiful. <laughs> Makes sense. All right, let's wrap it up because we actually went an hour when I only wanted to go twenty minutes. But you're always so fascinating to talk to. I can't ever control myself. So let's wrap it up here because we're going out for a Father's Day dinner. Tell everybody what you're doing this summer, where we can find you on the interwebs. What's next for um, Bath Talks? You're going to take it on the road. Um, you're going to like fill it up with some magic bubbles. Because you just added another person as a guest this episode. Are you going to keep trying to push the envelope? Or was this a one-time shot having a guest?
3: Um, I I do actually have a friend who's going to be on speaking of Father's Day. A friend of mine, his father passed away. And uh, he had some very interesting thoughts about um, end-of-life rights. So I thought I'd have him on because his thoughts are... much deeper than mine because he had to deal with it directly, his father having a lingering disease. So we're going to talk about end-of-life rights and, you know, the Any chance
1: you guys will be facing the same direction and you'll be sudsing up his hair and shampooing his hair while you guys talk?
3: Oh now that you've said it, yes, that's funny.
1: <laughs> oh there you go. Perfect. I
0: love it. I love it.
1: Now that, that would be said great. It, I think I have to, yes. Yeah. And, uh, I'm here to episode, inspire.
3: Yeah, the next episode of Bat Talks is just going to be about an idea I came up I don't know if I came up I think I did. Um, of codified kindness. So that's the topic.
1: Very yes. nice. So where can everybody find Bat Talks?
3: Uh, well, you can find it at, uh, on YouTube. Uh, my, my YouTube channel, which is Comic Jim Bruce. But you can also find it at Tin Can Media.
1: Tin Can.media.
0: Yes, Tim, Tim, Tim media. media Every day. The
1: only um, extension on the internet that's exclusively for podcast networks.
3: Same. Yeah, so everyone should subscribe, check it out, come on over.
1: Right on. All righty, Jim. Thank you so much for calling in. It is always a pleasure. Like I said, I get you on these political shows because I respect your point of view so much. And I think you have a way of stating things and breaking it down logically that maybe sometimes, except for your gun talk, that sounded more like me, but sometimes I don't have as much tact as you do. And maybe that's a problem. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I don't know if it's a problem. It's just what it is. It's just my personality and it's just your personality and I think <laughs> it mixes together swimmingly. No pun intended. I do too. Alrighty, Jim. Thanks. Hang on the line. We've got a great um, outro song that we're playing in um, celebration of this episode in Bath Talks. Oh, awesome. Alrighty, guys. We'll be back next Sunday. Thanks for listening to Kettle of Fish. Hit it, This is my little bird
2: talking. He is cute. Sexy. Aren't you jealous of my donkey? He was five forks, this does a whore If you ever feeling lonely and feeling blue You know what to do Buy a donkey Buy a donkey Stop your boyfriend Stop your girlfriend Rubber donkey love will never end Stop your boyfriend i your girlfriend whatever my love will never end My donkey bites ramers My donkey shits pillows My donkey misses flowers And he likes his take showers